Praise be Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 23 of CarmelCast. We're in season 4 still, and we're talking about the life and times of St. John of the Cross. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, John and his path to enter uh, Carmel and uh, his first encounter with another uh, holy and famous saint of our order. Um, today we're joined, blessed be joined with Brother Emmanuel, the Mother of Mercy. Uh, he's filling in for Brother John Mary. Uh, he'll be coming in and out throughout the season, uh, filling in. He's a, a great devotee of, of John the Cross and knows a lot about his life. We call him our, our fact checker. Uh, <laughs> has an encyclopedic knowledge of, of Carmelite books. We'll and, see about that. And uh, he's, he's, our, he's our go-to library man in the monastery. So we're grateful to have you, brother. And again, joined by Father Michael Joseph of St. Therese. And I'm uh, the deacon brother, Pier Giorgio, Christ the King. Uh, i got to get that in again. Um, so, uh, brother, we asked you to, to pick a saying of light and love for this week. Can you, uh, can you give us, what did you, what did you pick for us? Yeah, I chose uh, the ICS translation uh, number 73. And I chose it because I think it, has, it speaks very uh, poignantly about an encounter that John had with, with Teresa. But um, it goes, What does it profit you to give God one thing if he asks of you another? Consider what it is God wants and then do it. You will, as a result, satisfy your heart better than with something toward which you yourself are inclined. Um, and I, I chose this one because I, I, uh, I find that John has this, uh, this very unique understanding of the human heart and the human longing and, uh, and that God that himself and his will is, uh, is that, that thing that will most satisfy our hearts um, and anything else really. It may be we may desire it, and, may, and it may be in, a, in accord with God's will. But, but what we're what we're called to focus on is God's will for our life. Mm-hmm. What is, um, what is His choice for us? And I found that uh, we'll we'll talk about this. But but I found that this saying particularly speaks to, to John's encounter with, with Saint Teresa, mm-hmm. um, and the moment the moment at which his life changed. So, yeah. Yeah, this is a beautiful beautiful way to start this episode. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to, let's just jump right in. I forgot to mention also that CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite <laughs> Studies Publications. And you can find more information about us at www.icspublications.org. I was going to say something, but That's I didn't right. want to mess you up. <laughs> so we'll jump right in after that little brief interlude. Um, but thank you for that, for that saying and sharing that. Um, so... John enters the Carmelites. We, we've wrapped up in the last episode. Uh, John graduates from the studium, the Jesuit studium. And uh, now he's, he's 22 years old, um, and he, he enters the Carmelites. Uh, so, so what do you think made him choose uh, the Carmelites over the Jesuits with whom he was ed- educated or the other prevalent mendicant orders that were, that were, uh, that were present in, uh, in the, his time in the 1550s. Yeah. Well, I think if, if you could compare that time period to anything, it'd be like the NFL draft. Like, here comes, <laughs> here comes John. He's right out of school. Everyone wants him. You know, he's well-known. He's well-respected. All the different orders would love to have him as their, you know, their novice, basically. And, and, and the chaplain wanted him to take over his job. So he had so many kind of options and promising because of his virtue and his learning and just, you know, his overall goodness. Um, and, and yet he chose Carmel, you know, and I think that it, and it really does show like he, he could have maybe helped his mom a little bit more out of poverty if he chose another path, 
but he chose a path that really wouldn't benefit him in materially or his family. Um, and so I think it is, yeah, it's, it's definitely huge to like going deep into that question. Why, why Carmel? Yeah, and, the, and there are a number of, of uh, ideas that people have, biographers have, but, but the one that was spoken, out, spoken of somewhat in the last episode was his devotion to Our Lady. Um, he saw deeply this, um, this, uh, this great devotion to, to Mary and the history of, of Carmel, of the Carmelite order, um, and he found that resonated deeply with him. Um, and, and, yeah. <laughs> I think, too, his, his, there was a desire in his life to, to be quiet, mm -hmm. right? This, this, this love of silence. Um, this is actually the reason his brother gives of why he, he ultimately chose um, a religious order, maybe not particularly the Carmelites, but a religious order in comparison to the taking up that chaplaincy at the hospital where he worked, um, that he was desiring this, this, uh, this more time with, alone with God. Mm -hmm. um, and that really sort of begins uh, the John that we, that we know um, and who he would become, who he would, he would sort of flourish into. Yes. Yes, and Carmel having those aeromedical roots at their foundation, um, he would see that it's not maybe as easy to find that silence even in religious life, and that will you know get more into what he was seeking later. But that initial desire um, to seek God alone, you know, in the order of Our Lady, mm -hmm. you know, it, Carmel just kind of fulfilled I think, those those deep aspirations. Mm -hmm. So John enters the the novitiate of the Carmelites. What do we know about his his time as a novice? Well, he. Um, he was nourished on, on the, you know, the ancient texts, or the, the Carmelite rule, um, and also um, the book of the Institution of the First Monks, which is a text. But, but what's, what's very important about it is that it, it, it sparked in him these, these um, aromatical ideals, these, this longing for, for solitude with God in prayer. Um, and also that it, um, it, there was a lot of mortification, a lot of penances in, in the community life, but, but uh, that also resonated deeply with him because of his own you know, upbringing in poverty. So it would, it, it would not have been so difficult for him. He actually right. would have much appreciated these, these, um, the ability to give himself so deeply, so fully to, of himself to those things. Yeah. He could have looked around and said, oh, you think this is poverty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we know also that there was, that John had some uh, encounter uh, continuing studies um, that he it was, it was he continued to study and uh, um, was taking classes the classes in, of the novitiate so his intellectual life was continuing and was flourishing in this time as well yes and as all we know who've been through a novitiate it's just a powerful time of mm -hmm. what God's grace is doing it it's a it's a real intense time of purification of kind of forming you shaping you to be a religious you know, so it's just, it's, it's like a hot box of spirituality and, and pressure in different ways. So that combined with the, um, with John's own sense of, you know, the intellectual formation, you know, really was just shaping him to be a Carmelite, you know, even just in, in the ordinary way, but where God's grace is really powerfully at work. Yeah, and it, yeah, like, like you're saying, it's a, it really just awakened in him this, this, uh, this reality, this, this deep, this deep desire for him, uh, in him for, for God. Um, and that and that uh, that has no bounds um, mm -hmm. in his life. It takes him very far. Um, yeah. And so, around the age of twenty-two, he he makes his his first religious profession, um, which would have had a, a profound sort of effect on him. You know, preparing for uh, 
my own solemn profession recently, uh, it, it really you know, showed me just the, the, uh, yeah, the prof profound gifts that God has given me in the, in the community that he's given me and uh, the gratefulness, uh, so much gratefulness in the midst of that preparation. Mm -hmm. um, I can only imagine uh, for him also, the saint of our order, uh, how uh, that time of preparation would have been for him leading yes. up to the profession. And uh, the profession was a little bit different uh, in those days too. It was, it was much more... Uh, well, I think they had to profess uh, three times in a row, each time, each time a little bit more serious, right? <laughs> to like know what you're doing, yeah. like you're. <laughs> and the, the profession didn't take effect until the third time that you that you said the profession formula. So you had three chances, three yeah. chances to get out of it. I yeah, guess. yeah, just in case after that second one. <laughs> Which uh, these these days it's it's one and done. So, <laughs> uh, but a beautiful a beautiful time in his life. He he moved to the to the great at the time the great university city of Salamanca with with two of his, his novice classmates um, and, and really began uh, really diving deep into, this, into the study of, of um, the, at the time, the Catholic tradition yeah. of, of philosophy and then ultimately into theology. Yes. Well, and you think too, like Salamanca at that moment, this was the high point of Salamanca, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, in, in a way you could say it was probably the greatest university in Europe at that time. And of all the intellectual influences coming together, the movements, humanism, you know, all these things coming together was like an apex when John was there. So it's really, again, providential that God, would, I mean, that, yeah, that John was receiving from the best professors, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the ones that were right on like the cutting edge of what was going on at that time. And even at that time, I mean, with him specifically, he was, he was uh, flourishing, you know, he, um, this great aptitude for studies that, that was seen in him by, by the head of the hospital, the administrator, was seen um, at this time. And, uh, and in the, the three years that he studied philosophy there, um, he was eventually um, made prefect of studies, just to show how, how, um, how adept he was. Um, and yet during this time, there was still this growth within him of, uh, of this desire for what, what was God doing in him. Yeah. Um, that uh, it's, it's helpful, to, helpful to understand and just keep in mind that this, this was a very fruitful time for him, yes. not only intellectually, but spiritually. Yes. And in the last year of his studies, he, he entered into um, his theological studies. And uh, here we, we, he would have begun to, to study um, the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas, who was, uh, he continues to be to this day, one of the, one of the great theologians of the church. Um, but especially at this time, there's a, there's a great book that's out of print called God Speaks in the Night. So there was a, a big sort of photo book that was published years ago by ICS. And in this book, it shows the, the great Dominican monastery of San Sebastian and uh, the size comparison, right, of the Carmelite uh, monastery of San, San Andres. Um, you had this monstrous uh, <laughs> institution where the Dominicans lived and taught, and then you had the tiny little Carmelite monastery. Um, it reminded me, I, I read this passage when we first moved um, from our novitiate to our, to our studium in, in Washington, D.C., and it's the same thing. We have this little house uh, amidst the cemeteries of, of Washington, <laughs> Northeast Washington, D.C. And you, as you walk up to the university, you see the grand Dominican. palatial Dominican <laughs> monastery, <laughs> Dominican <laughs> House of really? Studies. So I, I remember sharing uh, with John in that moment uh, what he must have experienced, you know, in his white mantle walking off to school. Yeah, yes, we're always the little brothers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it shows, you know, also the, the profound sort of effect that, that the theology of, of Thomas Aquinas had at the time. Time, uh, 
Um, and this would have been very important. Uh, and it shows his scholastic thinking, his scholastic way of writing yeah. um, in, his, in his major works, right? Yeah, yeah he, he had this very, uh, this very unique way. If you look at the, the Ascent, for example, he just very so, he goes through things so systematically. Um, and it's, it's very helpful for people to see that. Yes. Well, and, and it, it gelled so well, too, with the way people were trained, you know, and, he, and even today, you know, that's why it's, there's something so perennial about his writings, because he plugs into this kind of universal thought, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, but, but even with all that learning, I think the amazing thing with someone like John is, you know, there are so many, right, uh, you could say distractions, let's say in Salamanca, biggest university town in Spain, you know, people from all over, different, you know, mixing with all these different people, and and it could be easy to let go of some of your sort of discipline, your, your desire for prayer, you know, because you need to take that time to read, right? This is my chance. And, mm -hmm. and um, but there, that he had a maxim later on in life when he was a student master where he said, um, you know, students and religious, but religious first. Mm -hmm. and, and he held to that from the very beginning, you know, where he, he got special permission to live the primitive rule of Carmel, even though others weren't, you know, and he'd spend still like long hours in prayer in his cell, you know, even though others were not doing that and and it so it showed that he he was able to keep his ideals and yet still benefit fully from this you know amazing opportunity he had to to study and yeah his commitment to prayer really helped you know furnish and and uh and deepen his appreciation for theology and how it is so much a part of our christian life um that we need to be able to 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 live it um, um and for for him that was there was no option it was such a it was such a drive in him to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we know in, in John's uh, earlier writings uh, about the early parts of the spiritual life that he writes on uh, the, nece the necessity for mortification in the spiritual life. And I think at this point in his life, he's in his, his early 20s, he's in his, in his own way exercising uh, these, these mortifications and living with his brother Carmelites who will later testify to, to his life at this time. Uh, what are some of the aspects of, of John's own approach to mortification? How, what was he known for by his brothers? Um, and what did he sort of put a central focus on with that regard? Well, um, we, we said already that he, he lived the, the primitive rule, or he got, got permission to live the primitive rule, which um, entailed a lot more fasting, I think. But also, um, he spent a lot of time, as much time as he could in his cell, um, in recollection um, and in prayer, because he was he was actually able to to uh, to see our Lord in the tabernacle from the window of his cell, mm. which is a it was a it was a great blessing to him. Even though it was said that it was sort of a narrow and cold cell in the corner, um, <laughs> but uh, but it was the greatest blessing for him to be able to pray and to study in the presence of our Lord. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think going hand in hand with that is is silence, you know, and and he really saw that as a big part of his life. And it's, again, it's a mortification. You think the word mortification, you know, death, death to self. And um, at times, you know, when you, when, when the rule says this is the time for silence, it's very easy. And we all know this. It's very easy to, to not, but he saw silence as such an important thing. Um, and, but especially the interior silence. And I think that's the key. It's, it's not just about not making noise um, or, or saying things, but just having that spirit of recollection and openness to God. And that it showed through, like they said, like, even his brothers, maybe who didn't have the same ideals or weren't living it in the same way, just seeing John made them want to be a little different and, and kind of convicted them too. Like they'd stop what they were doing if they were breaking silence or something. They'd stop just seeing him kind of walking up. Um, 
and but whatever his mortification and penance was, it was it was always about whatever was that just cleared the way to union with God. You know, it's it's so much more about the internal kind of goal of the life as opposed to just like doing a bunch of things. You know, John never was into just like doing things for the sake of doing them, but but because it would lead, you know, clear out the obstacles basically for him. So and and it had a big impact on the people around him. I mean, this says, it says a lot that, you know, years later, these men, these guys that he studied with are still recalling in great detail, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way that he lived. So. And even, even uh, maybe there's this stereotype of, for, of John you know, that people might have today that, well, mortifications are really only for the beginning stages. But it's important to remember that even towards the end of his life, he was still practicing some of these penances. Maybe they didn't have much of a focus in his spiritual life, but he was still practicing them at the end of his life. And even though they're not ends in of themselves, they have this important aspect of purifying us of our passions. Yes. Uh, to, to see how, and to see that th- this is how John became a saint, yeah. in a sense, is, is in this, these mortifications and this purification uh, of the passions. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, as we kind of continue on, um, there's sort of a, a f- an important thing that happens uh, towards the end of John's time in studies. Uh, a certain uh, woman that he meets <laughs> um, in our in our the, our holy mother Saint Teresa, right? Yeah. Um, and the context for uh, this this meeting uh, perhaps was the the visit of the provincial father, father uh, Rubio. He comes uh, to to visit the different houses in Spain, and for whatever reason, we know that at this time John makes his way um, to to Avila for maybe a, a provincial chapter or something. Um, and this is the, the first sort of encounter that he has with, with St. Teresa. So maybe we can, we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and it was after his, after his third uh, year in philosophy, he makes, it, he makes his way in. And it's kind of a, a chance encounter. It's actually in Medina. Oh. Um, it's okay. Um, um, where, Back checker. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, We're just was, testing you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, uh, he, he comes back after... Uh, after being ordained a priest, and uh, he's there to celebrate his first Mass. And uh, it's at this point that St. Teresa has arrived in Medina to, to make the foundation of the nuns. And she's uh, uh, another friar who she came in contact with, um, recommended John as sort of this, uh, this hopeful, you know, aspirant to the reform that she wanted to start, start with the friars. Mm-hmm. And so um, this chance encounter was, um, was a life changer for, for John. Um, he found uh, he found uh, in this moment in this encounter what uh, what God was asking of him, mm-hmm. um, and it and it did it no doubt did uh, resonate with the desires of his own heart. But he realized that it that that uh, what Teresa was offering him was what God was offering him, mm-hmm. and what want what he wanted of him. Well, I think you said again tying in with your saying of light and love that mm-hmm. because of his great ideals and and really he felt very drawn or invited to a more contemplative life, and so. He kind of had a crisis, you know, during his time of studies of, of desiring to be a Carthusian, you know, and yeah. you're saying it's kind of the order famous for silence, you know, yeah. so his desire for silence led him to see, well, maybe I'm called to live like a much more kind of aeromedical sort of life as a Carthusian. Um, and so, and with someone, for someone like John, he's not a kind of guy who would just be like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, you know. <laughs> He thought about it, <laughs> and he was pretty sure that this was what God was calling him to, and this is what he wanted to do based on what was going on in him. And so it just shows, again, this power of that encounter with, with our Holy Mother, St. Teresa, that, 
that in a very brief moment, she was able to help him change his course completely. Mm. Mm. And, and by this invitation to enter into this adventure of the Discalced Carmel and, and to the reform. Um, so again, yeah, it just shows like what, what that must have been for him, the life-changing thing that must have been for him. Yeah. The, the only thing that he said was, that's fine, just don't make me wait too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of, <laughs> he could still uh, yeah, hold some ground. <laughs> and I, it's it's uh, an object for the imagination maybe to, to think of what Holy Mother said to him to, to convince him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of, because at this point she's, uh, this is five years into the, into St. Joseph. I mean, it's a good amount of time in terms of uh, living the the discalce life is existing um, through through the life at the monastery of Saint Joseph in Avila. So uh, it would be interesting. I'm sure that John, you know, through the grapevine, would have been hearing what she was up to, mm-hmm. um, and and maybe even had uh, not a good sense. I mean, because. She was not talked about in the best ways in the in the course of, of the beginnings of Saint Joseph, so I wonder too how much of that impacted his own uh, first initial encounter, yes. his first preconceptions of who Saint Teresa was. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing to speculate. Yeah, definitely. About. Yeah, <laughs> she <laughs> must have been more. very persuasive, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, maybe to to close, uh, to read <laughs> to read from from Holy Mother St. Teresa's uh, encounter with John, her, her recalling of this. Um, and this, this comes from the Foundations, the Book of the Foundations. Uh, do you know what chapter? <laughs> Twelve. Somewhere, in, somewhere in there, yeah. <laughs> we didn't bring it, I didn't bring it with me. Uh, but anyway, this is from the Book of the Foundations. A little later it happened that a young father came there who was studying at Salamanca. He came along with another as his companion who told me great things about the life this father was leading. The young father's name was Fray John of the Cross. I praised our Lord, and when I spoke with this young friar, he pleased me very much. I learned from him how he also wanted to go to the Carthusians. Telling him that I was attempting what I was attempting to do, I begged him to wait until the Lord would give us a monastery and pointed out the great good that would be accomplished if his desire to improve were to remain in his own order, and that much greater service would be rendered to the Lord. He promised me he would remain as long as he wouldn't have to wait long. When I saw that I already had two friars to begin with, it seemed to me that the matter was taken care of. Although I still wasn't so satisfied with the prior, and thus I waited a while, and waited also for the sake of finding a place where they could begin. So she's alluding there to, to, to Father Antonio, who we'll talk more about in the next episode, um, a very interesting character, uh, but who was the first, to the, really the first friar, uh, Fray Antonio, uh, was the first to, to tell Teresa that he wanted to join. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with great zeal, uh, you, can convince, you can convince someone despite your character flaws. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think that's, that's a good, great place to start, stop unless you guys have any final thoughts. Oh, that's good. I think yeah. we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we'll see you next week, uh, episode 24, and we'll begin to talk about the first foundation of the Friars, a very important part in, yeah. in Fray John of the Cross's life. Yes. All right. Yeah. See you next week. God bless you. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of Carmelcast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Also, 
Be sure to click like if you enjoyed this episode, and maybe even leave us a comment. We post discussion questions down below to get the conversation going. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.